either one of these any good? Wow, this is a good movie. It's pretty good. Well, the director from yesterday doesn't think so. It stinks. You sorry? You waste all our film. <laughs> it's so bad. Well, it's been a little quiet the last couple of weeks. Not quiet anymore. Got no. a bunch of films and some good ones, too, to talk about. So welcome. This is the Screening Room Podcast, and she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf, And we are from MadWolf.com. Let's start out with a historical epic that is based in alternate history of the Kingdom of Dahomey, one of the most powerful states of Africa in the 18th and 19th centuries. This is the Woman King. You are called to join the King's Guard. No kingdom in all of Africa shares this privilege. Train hard, fight harder. We fear no one. And we fear no pain. I offer you a choice. Fight or we die. We are the spear of victory! Well, early on, when we first started seeing these ads, we're like, Viola Davis, kicking ass. That's we're right. In. That's really all we had to know. That is all we had because, to know. <laughs> but the the good news is, man, this is it's such a good film that, as you said in your written review, hard to, you think it reminds you of other films, but yet it doesn't. No, and uh, I mean, the reason for that <clears throat> is that we really have never seen ever a movie like this. You know, it's got all of the grandeur and excitement of of other historical epic, you know, battle type films, gladiator, that kind of a thing. But, you know, this is uh, it's another one of those examples of true historical fact that we should have known forever ago. Like, why didn't I know that this group of warriors existed? Um, Ryan Coogler did. Because he yeah. based he based the warriors in Wakanda around this actual group of people. And they are so cool. Oh, they're the coolest. And they were called by slavers, by European slavers, they were called the Dahomey Amazons. Mm-hmm. Uh, because they were all female, ruthless, and relentless. And so, and the story itself in this movie is fictional, right? These characters, the right. individuals are fictional. Right. And, and we so should I, say, the, 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 well, the script was written by Dana Stevens, but... Actress Maria Bello yeah, came up gets with a story. story credit. I know. Very nice. Very nice. And Gina Prince by the Wood directs, and she's done a lot of really good films over the years. And this, she made her first real, um, including like Love and Basketball, The Secret Life of Bees. She's done a lot of of um, dramas, uh, smaller films that 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 deal with how complicated womanhood can be mm-hmm. in different societies at different times. Mm-hmm. But then she also did The Old Guard yeah. a couple of years ago. Good action film there. And yeah, it was her first real big action film. Yeah. So this one, it it takes all of those things and just, man, really ramps it up a notch. <laughs> the whole cast is great. I mean, Viola Davis is just absolutely sure. amazing. John that's, Boyega that's plays That's a given the, anymore. <laughs> it is, you're right. John Boyega uh, plays the king. He does a nice job, but definitely a smaller supporting role. Um, Lashana Lynch... James Bond, mm-hmm. she steals scenes. She's <laughs> badass. She is so good. And the story itself, it's like two parallel stories. The larger story is that slavers um, have really infiltrated uh, West Africa and do a business with a lot of different nations who basically conquer, you know, they fight with other uh, tribes, other nations. They take their captives 
and then they sell them. And um, Lahome does it as well. And Viola Davis's character thinks they need to stop it. They need to stop having anything to do with it, that it is a poison to the entire continent. So that's the main story. But then there's also they need some new recruits. So there's a, a group of young women who have joined uh, and are, are training to become part of this warrior uh, platoon. So you've got the two stories that go. And, of course, they m- merge together and there's a lot happening. And there's a lot. It's a, there's a lot of heart. There really is. There's mm-hmm. a lot of there's a lot going on. There are a lot of glimpses into different ways that history repeats itself and also ways that it's it's really tough to be female in different eras in history. So, but all of that is is none of that takes a, a front seat to the the drama and the action yeah, in this movie. The action, yeah. Fist pumping action. And I think it's very I would say ironic, I guess, that it's coming out at the same time we're hearing all this ridiculous brouhaha about the little mermaid. <laughs> Because you talk about representation, yeah. this movie depicts a slice of history, specifically African history, that mm-hmm. you just don't see. No, not ever. And you know, and it's funny, I think we all said that when Hidden Figures, the film Hidden Figures came mm-hmm. out, all of us were like, why didn't I know this? Right. Why did I not know Remind that these women... Remind you how women... much history yes, is exactly. out there that we how weren't taught. That yeah. we don't ever get to see. Or, you know, how many very famous films of of real historical figures... The historical figures are either white when they're not, or they're white actors who were painted. Genghis Khan, (laughs) you know, Othello, um, um, Jesus. And so it's just, uh, it's it's a silly idea, first of all, that a character can be part fish, part human, but the human part has to be white. That's a ridiculous notion. The whole thing, But also... I mean that aside, it's it's just we we never get to see movies like this. We've literally never gotten to see a movie like this. Well, hopefully we'll see more. Right. Um, hopefully, if this one gets an audience, and boy, it it sure deserves one. Uh, the Woman King. It is out in theaters this weekend. Go see it. Next up, a documentary that many people, including the two of us, have been waiting on for a while. A cinematic odyssey exploring David Bowie's creative and musical journey from visionary filmmaker Brett Morgan and sanctioned by the Bowie Estate. It's Moon Age Daydream. You're aware of a deeper existence. Are you there, Dave? Are you there, Dave? And you find yourself struggling to comprehend a deep mystery. This is ground control to major tongue. You've really made the grade. And the papers want to know whose shirts you wear. Ever since I was 16, I was determined to have the greatest adventure that any one person could ever have. Often, when you hear that, sanctioned by the estate, you can expect a movie that maybe pulls some punches. Mm-hmm. But um, I-, I can't imagine being more pleased with the film than I oh, was with this with I this can't either. And, and you know, Bowie's son, Duncan Jones, mm-hmm. he's he has been asked for some time, when, why don't you make a movie about your father? And and <clears throat> this one, it, it, it got attention right away because it was sanctioned by the estate. But the fact that it's done by Brett Morgan, who, if you don't know, has made some fantastic documentaries. He did Jane. He did um, Kurt Cobain, Montage mm-hmm. of Heck, and he did The Kid Stays in the Picture yeah. years ago. Good, really good documentaries. And this one, it just it just, it just, just blows your mind. It really does. It's such a, a great approach to telling David Bowie's story. It's the kind of approach that really an, an artist 
such as Bowie deserves. Right. I mean, it's just a it's a sensory overload. It's not told in any sort of way that you've ever seen before, a musical biography. No. You're, you're not going to take a strict chronological going through the life, but at the same time, I think by the time it hits the end, you a timeline has emerged. Agreed. Agreed. Just not one that you expect. And he, he just hits you with this all this footage because he was given the key to the vault, basically, and sorted through thousands of hours of footage and still photos and all this stuff. And I think what he does, instead of a strict um, chronological order, he, he groups things that sort of fit together. Thematically, Thematically, yes, absolutely. That, that speak to who David Bowie was as a person and as an artist. And it starts right away. The movie's kind of bookended with this sort of approach that gives a wink-wink to his image as this man who fell to earth, you know, the star yeah. man, sort yeah. of that thing. And then it just gives you all this footage. Of course, the musical performances are thrilling, but you get this fantastic interview footage where Bowie's talking very philosophically Mm -hmm. about life, about his creative process. And you really, by the end of it, you really feel like you get to know him Mm -hmm. in a way that you never could have before. Very personal stuff about how how he worked and how he what he hoped to achieve artistically, things that he felt vulnerable about that weren't quite up to his standards when he took on new projects like painting, mm-hmm. things like that. It's just fascinating. It's it's about two hours and 15 minutes, but boy, it, it, it blows by. And if you can see it in IMAX, as we got to see it in IMAX, do that. Oh, because it's gorgeous. It's gorgeous. I mean, the way that the footage is edited together is and spectacular. And he's the editor, too. He is the editor. Usually, yeah. <laughs> when you see it, something like that, oh, my, he's the editor. Oh, he, what a job. Yeah. What a job of editing and, and presenting this thing in a way that just does a, a visionary approach to a visionary artist. And, of course, if you're a David, David Bowie fan, you this is a must. Yes. But even if you're not, I mean, I've seen musical biographies before. There was one a few years ago on Oasis. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm not a big Oasis fan, but it was a good movie. Right. So even if you're not a David Bowie fan, all right, but it's such a fascinating way to present a life as an artist. Um, I, I, if I'm nitpicking, the only thing is toward the end, I think the the later years of his life do get a bit of a short shrift, yeah. I guess. Mm-hmm. But but even so, it's such a such a statement, such a, a thematic whole put together by all these bits. It's it's interesting too that it it does speak about Bowie's fondness for the cut up method, especially early on in his career, to writing songs. Mm-hmm. And he wasn't the only one to do that. William Burroughs did it. Other other artists where they take lines that they've written, cut them up, and re reshuffle them mm-hmm. and see what they can come up with. And that, it feels like Morgan is doing that a little bit with <laughs> all these bits of footage, but it does really go together. It does. And speak to themes and speak to th- who David Bowie was. And it's just fascinating to see him grow as a person and grow as an artist with some footage that has never been seen And one of the before. things I really like about the way it was put together is when you do the typical chronological, you know, you you see everything as like at this point this happened, at this point this right. happened. And what this movie does is point out there are certain elements to a person that are the same throughout their lives. And there are other elements of who they are that change, like internal like parts of your personality. Mm-hmm. And so what I loved about it is that this gave you a chance to see how things within him changed on a certain topic over time or how he he would make a statement in like 1974 and then kind of return to it again in the 90s. Yeah. You know what I mean? So that it was it was fascinating because it gave you a better sense of his own personal evolution. Yes, over very years. much so. Very much. So. It reminded me a bit back when Rocket Man came out. Right. And you're, and you're thinking, 
This is the kind of movie that an artist like Elton John deserves. Right. This speaks, it goes along with who he is. And of course, that wasn't a, a, you know, a documentary, but this is, but still, it just seems, yes, this is the sort of treatment that David Bowie deserves. Exactly. And I, I can't imagine that the estate isn't really happy with it. I'd be shocked if they weren't, because this is a great, great work uh, about a great artist. And by all means, check out, especially in IMAX, if you can. That I think that's the only... The only theaters you can see it this weekend is the IMAX theaters, and then next it's going it wider, going wider next week. But so either this week or next week, by all means, uh, check out Moon Age Daydream. Let's go horror. Okay, the story of how Pearl became the vicious killer seen in X. This is Ty West and Pearl. I want to be special, dancing up on the screen like the pretty girls in the pictures. I will not let you leave this farm again. Rumor has it they only take one gal per town. Next. Has to be me. How about a film nobody else has seen? Is it legal? I know what I've done. Terrible, awful, murderous things. I want to be loved from as many people as possible. But truth is, I'm not really a good person. Well, if you saw X last year, and I hope you did, and hope you stayed around to the very end, if you did, you were treated to a trailer at the end of that movie. I remember we were quite surprised. Yeah. And it was the trailer for this movie. Uh, And now it is here, and it's the origin story of the old woman in, (laughs) (laughs) in X, back to her beginnings, played still by Mia Goth, and she is Pearl. And this is much like X. It presents a horror movie in a... Wrapped up in a in a presentation a presentation of a different genre of film. Yes, and in this case, it's it seems so ill suited to it because it's it it's set in 1918. However, the movie is definitely takes on sort of the 30s and 40s. Well, it's like a Judy Garland film. It's got the structure, the sound, you know, the 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 score. It's like a Judy Garland film, mm-hmm. and that would make. Pearl, sort of Judy Garland, um, but I've never seen Judy behave this way. No, Pearl is a well. She knows. She says she's done bad things. Yeah, she wants off that farm. She has, and the thing, if you've seen X, you know, oh poor Pearl doesn't never really get off that farm. Um, and every time in the course of this film that she thinks she's going to get off the farm and she doesn't, her behavior becomes a little bit less eccentric and a little bit more violent mm-hmm. um and although it's never been wholesome uh but but she really does develop some skills with that pitchfork by the end <laughs> of the movie it's a lot of fun and mia goth is great and she really shoulders the, the whole film i mean yeah. she's in just about every scene and um and she i think creates a character who's who is i mean she's a great character she's she's uh, got a lot of complexity to her and She's very childlike in the way that she just enjoys and dreams. But then you can see how naturally that turns to something much darker. Right. Um, and uh, and it and it makes the movie just feel so eerie. Well, if you remember, if you saw X, you remember how that was rooted in very much of a 70s, you know, a Texas Chainsaw Massacre yeah. type of horror vibe. Mm-hmm. And this one, like you said, takes on that Judy Garland, stars in her eyes. Absolutely. Plucky young woman off the farm, going to make it, and just puts a lot of blood on it. Oh, yeah, a lot of it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's fun. 
I don't, you know, I got to say, I don't think that it is nearly as clever or weirdly gorgeous as X, but... Although, full disclosure, we have much more of an affinity for the Texas Chainsaw Massacre yes. type of film than yeah. we do for the Judy Garlands, but but still, uh, I, I think I agree with that. And much like um, X, there is a trailer at the end of the credits in this, but it's one that you may have already seen. Right, it was already released, and it's for the third in the trilogy, which is set in the 1980s, and it's called... Triple X. No, it's called Maxine yeah. with three X's <laughs> Maxine in the middle. Sorry. With three X's. So what would you say about someone, as I talked to this morning, someone who hasn't seen X yet? I would see X first. I think I would too. Yeah, yeah. because, uh, yes, I would see X first. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and But if you have, got a recommendation for this one, and it is in theaters this weekend, starting this weekend, called Pearl. Got a couple whodunits this week. This is the first one. In the West End of 1950s London, plans for a movie version of a smash hit play come to an abrupt halt after a pivotal member of the crew is murdered. See how they run. A real-life detective. I understand that you came to blows the night in question. It was me, Inspector. I arrest you for the murder of Leo Cochran. No, no, no. We have a serial killer on the loose. Keeps the key ah! under the mat. We are no longer merely suspects. We are also potential victims. Ah! Oh! So what did he do that made you suspicious? It wasn't so much what he did, it was more the way he did it. How'd he do it? Suspiciously. Right. Murder. Murder was the case. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's a 1950s West End, and they're doing, appropriately enough, Agatha Christie's Mousetrap, hence the title. Mm -hmm. See how they run. And after the party for their 100th performance, movie director, played by Adrian Brody, who is set to direct the movie version once this uh, stage version has wrapped, he's murdered. At the party, and then we have a case to solve, and that would fall to Inspector, played by Sam Rockwell, and a young constable, played by Saoirse Ronan. And it, it's a great ensemble cast. Those two lead it. Of course, I mentioned Adrian Brody. David Oyelowo mm -hmm. is also in it. And just a great ensemble cast. It is a lot of fun. And also, Harris Dickinson, I, I've got to say, does a great job. He plays Richard Attenborough, the actual Richard Attenborough, who in this movie is starring on stage in Mousetrap. And he does a great impersonation of a younger Richard Attenborough, especially the way he talks. Very, very nicely done. It's very wink-wink at these Agatha Christie tropes because it it's explaining them and sometimes poking fun at them. At the same time, it's following them right before your eyes. It almost telegraphs how this movie is going to end <laughs> and how things are going to proceed. Because, yes, somehow before the end, we'll get all the characters inexplicably in the same room, and then we'll just, you know, tick them off one by one and why someone is guilty and someone is not. So if you love those types of whodunits, and they are fun. They are fun. Especially when you have a cast like this. The writer is Mark Chappell. The director is Tom George. I will say it's probably not quite maybe as clever as they think it is, but it still is fun. And I loved seeing Saoirse Ronan be funny like yes. this. Yes. I mean, she steals every scene. She does. She's, she's charming. She's fun. She's so good. Anyway, 
But in this one, she's just this fresh-faced upstart, and she wants to be good, but she is a fan of the stage and screen, so she's a little bit starstruck with some of these people, and she's always having to apologize for things that she said and getting in the way of Sam Rockwell. Of course, he just wants to go get a drink, and he's disheveled. You know, Sam Rockwell <laughs> is going to do that fun. He's always great, yeah, too. He, he is. I'm saying the entire <laughs> yeah. cast really is good. They work well together. It's going to remind you of a lot of it. It'll remind you of Death Trap because it's a it's a play within a movie, within a play within a movie, that sort of thing. But, uh, of course, Agatha Christie, and she's actually a character in the movie. So if that's your bag, I think you're going to like this. It is fun. Uh, and it is in theaters now called See How They Run. All right, I said we had two whodunits. Here's the second one. After becoming the prime suspect in multiple murders, Fletch strives to prove his innocence while simultaneously searching for his fiancée's stolen art collection. This is Confess, Fletch. I think the victim interrupted an art theft. Your fingerprints are on the murder weapon, and someone matching your description was seen with the victim. Come back with me to police headquarters. I get it. You want my help? Okay. I looked into your criminal record. And? You're a bit of a shady character, Mr. Fletcher. But I am adorable. If you did kill that girl, do the right thing and give me an exclusive. This stupid idiot moron has something to do with this. You want me on the outside so I can solve this thing. Are you Fletcher? Yes, I am. Oh! I mean, no, I'm not. I always get that wrong. I don't know who people hate more, cops or reporters. It's cops. First of all, fiancé? That's not the Fletch I know. (laughs) In case you didn't know, John Hamm has taken over the role of Fletch. And I remember when that was announced, that casting was announced, I thought it was spot on. Exactly. I really did. John Hamm, he's he's very, very funny. He can be very Mm -hmm. funny. I mean, he can be good dramatic as well. But he's very funny and and charming. And this is a movie that... it's, It's interesting because I think in the role, John Hamm is actually acting. Yes. As much of a fan of the original Fletch as I am, and you know I am. I do know Quoted that. all the time. <laughs> uh, Chevy Chase was being Chevy Chase. Yes. That is not the character in the original source novels by Gregory MacDonald. This is closer to that. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, the original Fletch was off to the proctologist's office, and that's not in the book. Those are those <laughs> Saturday Night Live type skits that Chevy Chase did so well, and I thought it was funny. Now here, you're going to get a better... The character is more well-rounded. If you've read the book, it's going to be closer to the books. Mm-hmm. But if you like that sort of silly humor, it's just not as funny. But it's it's very entertaining. Another whodunit by when we catch up with Fletch, he's he's given up the uh, the reporter game. He thinks the, the news business has been cheapened by digital media. But uh, his reputation, as he keeps saying, of some repute, uh, gets him some side gigs, some freelance sleuthing gigs. And, yeah, he's trying to track down this stolen art collection when the rented Boston townhouse he's in has a young woman's dead body one morning. And then, of course, the local cops, of course, are immediately convinced that Fletch did it, so they want him to confess. But he just, he, he wants to help him solve the case. So And also the, take off his shoes and socks. He does that a lot, <laughs> which is funny. Um, he doesn't understand why they don't like that. But uh, So as they're surveilling him, of course, he's cool and sarcastic about it and is off on his own trying to get some clues. So it, it is fun. It features a, a, a rotating cast of suspects, much like in the Agatha Christie mold, and, and they're played by Marsha Gay Harden. Always great. Yeah, you're going to see Kyle MacLachlan show up. Even uh, his girlfriend, played by Lorraine, Lorenza Izzo, from a knock knock. Remember, she was the other yeah. girl. Yeah, yeah. Uh, she's his his fiance girlfriend, and she might be a suspect as well. And 
his stoner neighbor, played by Annie Momolo. Nice. <laughs> I know. She's funny, too. So that it's a fun ensemble. And also, there's a nice reunion with John Slattery right. from Mad Men. Yeah, very yeah, nice. He plays uh, Fletch's uh, old boss at the paper and who, who's salty and wants him to get back on and maybe write a story. So uh, that's fun, too. And it's not great. Again, if you, you miss the this, this sort of uh, silly humor that Chevy Chase brought to it, uh, that's not here. But I totally understand because you don't want John Hamm trying to do Chevy Chase. That'd no, be stupid. It would be. Uh, that's not what he does. That was then. This is now. And it's it's a new it's a new fletch. Is it enough here to carry on a franchise? I'm not sure about right, that. No. But uh, it's it's entertaining. It's breezy. And I think John Hamm is still a good choice to take over Fletch. And this is in some theaters and also streaming. Now yes, you say? it's on uh, Amazon Prime. Okay, this weekend it's called Confess, Fletch. We liked it. Another comedy sequel next, Dante, Elias, and Jay and Silent Bob are enlisted by Randall after a heart attack to make a movie about the convenience store that started it all. It's Clerks 3. What's the movie going to be about? It's about him working here. Meta. Everything in the script is something either me or someone I know said. I'm not even supposed to be here today. Maybe Jay and Silent Bob could be characters. Jay and Silent Bob are like C-3PO and R2-D2. They've been here since the first movie, which was the last time they were cool. But they've been with the franchise so long, they still give them cameos and put them on the lunchboxes. Snifty bitches, please tell me why. They believe in you. You put in that stuff you used to say about the Death Star contractors. What the hell is this? I added a scene where you get shot. I'm not letting you kill me off in the third act. What if there's a sequel? A sequel? What am I, a hack? I think it needs more weed. If you plan to shoplift, let us know. <laughs> <laughs> They're back. They're back playing hockey on the roof. And uh, this time, as sort of goes along with what Kevin Smith has done, they want to make a movie about making a movie. Yeah, and for me, I mean, this is the the capper to the trilogy I didn't know I needed. Right. Um, I was very surprised by how entertaining I found this film. Essentially, it was a way for Kevin Smith to just make Clerks again, which is not to say remake Clerks. What they're doing is making the movie Clerks. Right. That's what they're doing, mm-hmm. and so he brings and he brings back. Everybody from the first movie. I mean, everybody. And an awful lot of people from the second movie. And and uh, some famous cameos and, as well. Yep, some famous cameos as well. Some auditions. Uh, not unlike the second movie, Make a Porno. You know, a, a series of auditions. Uh, and, uh, and can I just say again, Dante and Rosario Dawson, come on. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> That's true. There's also... An Amy Sedaris sighting. Nice. Yeah, I'm pro that. I'm pro that in all ways. So it's a lot of fun. And one of the things that I found was interesting is that um, both Jeff Anderson and Brian O'Halloran, right? Dante and Randall. These are not the strongest actors in (laughs) any of these films. You know what? Somehow I don't think they're taking offense to that right now. No, I I doubt that they are. And And I, but they, both of them are given the chance to stretch in this movie and i would say neither one of them lets us down right, you know they right. they don't do as well as rosario dawson for example or some of the heavy hitters mm-hmm. that you were going to see in the rest of the film but they do i think a very solid job of uh you know bringing some emotional depth to their characters yeah. so good for you i was just going to say people might be surprised how much emotional heart 
say might yes. be in this movie. But yes. uh, it was a nice a nice surprise. And we've been fans of Clerks since since the beginning. So it's nice to be able to say that. Yeah, and one of the other things that actually, uh, if you are, then this is for you because it is absolutely, without a doubt, just a love letter to his from Kevin Smith to his fans. Yeah. That's what this is. And nothing wrong with that. That is Clerks 3 out in theaters now. Boy, another good one here. We've got a really a, a string of good movies, some good to great movies, and yep. this one is very good. A thriller. When a college professor confronts two hunters she catches trespassing on her property, she's drawn into an escalating battle of wills with catastrophic consequences. This is called God's Country. Did they threaten you at all? Not overtly, but I have definitely been made to feel threatened. Where are you from originally? New Orleans. I teach at the university. Out here, things are a little different. Most folks handle this sort of thing amongst themselves. I don't feel safe in my own house. There isn't enough law in this whole state to make you feel safe. Behind you. Afternoon, gentlemen. These guys keep coming back. Why do you think that is? Why do you care so much? Sometimes it feels like things never change. But I promise you, We both love Thandaway Newton, and it's just, you've waited to see her get a lead role that she could really show off her talent, and this you, is it. If I don't see her on some Oscar shortlist this year, uh, there's something wrong. She is fantastic and carries this movie, um, and she plays, yeah, it's Cassandra is her name. She goes by Sandra, and she has just buried her mother, so she's she's really feeling the grief still. It's deep. Uh, but early on, she tells her college class, she talks about the, the need for persistence in the daily work toward change. Things will change. Just keep keep at it. And then the movie, which is co-written and directed by Julian Higgins, does a great job of shedding light on these these issues that divide us as a country and divide us so so deep sometimes that it seems it just cannot be conquered. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and this movie does a fantastic job of doing that with the situations, with the characters that could so easily fall into cliche but don't. Um, it's really well done. And Julian Higgins, I, I think this is his first feature in almost 20 years. He did a, a small movie about 20 years ago, 18 or so called Mending Wall that is some of the same themes. And then he's just done a lot of shorts. Mm. So he's back with a feature here, and it's really, really good. As as the synopsis says, she, you know, she's dealing with this grief, and the, she lives out, it, they don't really say the state, but it's probably Montana, Wyoming, something like that. Mm-hmm. So she lives out in, in, near the wilderness. And especially with her mother just dying, she likes her alone time, and she notices that this truck has been parking on her property because it's an easy route for these two hunters to get to the woods. And they, she leaves a, a note on the windshield hoping that they'll stop, and they don't. And then she escalates, they escalate, and the next thing you know, she's getting the sheriff involved, and it, it could turn ugly. And as it goes along, you find out things about her past that I won't spoil, but that, that make her maybe a little more keenly aware to where this situation could go than the rest of it. And it, it shows you why she maybe un, maybe feels this way about uh, about the situation. Although you, she, she does a, give a little bit of a, an aside about how her mother never let a battle go. And you're like, well, this is what she's doing. And that's what 
these characters, they're flawed, including her. And there's always a, the dangling carrot of redemption out there that is never quite, even even the briefest of exchanges, even between Cassandra and one of the hunters, you think maybe there's some some thawing of the ice here, but then maybe not. And it's it's just really well done. There's so many issues are brought up. So many hot button issues of the day are brought up in such a, a, a nuanced way that in a real life way, right? a real life way about when do these no big deals, how many can you take before it's a big deal? Well, I think one of the things uh, in your written review that was that really struck me is, that, you know, how many times can you just let it go? And mm-hmm. and the thing is that, you know, the sort of overriding culture, the which is to say the white patriarchy, mm-hmm. they, they, they all they're invested in having you just always let it go. Yeah. Just and let also because it, it benefits them. Right. And also, I should say, while this is going on with the hunters, she's also involved in a committee to help pick a new dean at her school. And of course, would like to see more diversity in mm-hmm. picking that dean. So that's brought up as well. And it all leads toward it, it's very unassuming filmmaking, uh, quiet, somewhat it's gorgeously shot. And visual storytelling leading to a final scene, which is almost dialogue-free, that is a stunner. Mm. Let me tell you that. A stunner. And will invite a lot of conversation. But boy, I want to see Thandawi Newton uh, really recognize this award season because she deserves it. And it's a darn good movie, too. It's out in theaters this weekend called God's Country. Back to a horror film next. This is an American remake, an English language remake of a foreign film from years ago, about eight years ago, I think, that we loved. Uh, two twin brothers arrive at their mother's house and begin to suspect that something isn't right. It's a remake of the 2014 Austrian film, Good Night, Mommy. Don't you think something's different? I don't think that's our mother. Right away when we heard this was being remade, yeah, I I hate to have that feeling, but it's so often. But then you see that Naomi Watts is starring in it, and you remember, well, you know what? She stars in one of the few English-language remakes of a foreign film that is better than the original, and that's The Ring. The Ring. Sadly, this is not one of those. It is not. And she does a nice job. She really does. As she always does. I mean, she's a very, very solid performer. But the, the thing is, one of the great things about the first film is, Kind of how small a role the mother plays, honestly. Um, and then the other thing is how open the the film is, the the original. You're outside with these little boys as they just play and explore. And you play and explore with them. And you think, why are things so weird here? But also, you really note how isolated the mom's house is. How mm-hmm. far away from everybody they are. And also, it's just Gorgeously filmed. The yeah. cinematography is so striking in the, first in the original. One. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just creepy from start to finish. It definitely finish. is. Uh, this one is not as creepy. This one, is, the director is Matt Sobel, screenplay by Kyle Warren. And uh, when the twins come to stay with their mother, their father uh, drops them off. She has her her head is totally her face and her head totally wrapped in a bandage because she explains that she's just had plastic surgery. We find out she's a, an actress. 
And so, the, you know, they're, the kids are unnerved by that. And then the way she acts and they'll think they start believing that she is not their mother. Right. And a struggle ensues. And every time a, a movie, a foreign language film like this is remade, you think, well, okay, they're going to make changes. because sure. which, which I respect because you can't just, you know, live on the work of someone else and make right. a shot-for-shot shot remake. Sure. You're going to make some changes. But most of the time, they're not for the better. We no. just saw it when uh, with the Downhill was the remake of Force Majeure. Oh, sure. Uh, the English language remake of Secret in Their Eyes a few years ago. The change that they make, oh, no. Old boy. Old boy, no. They're just... And I, I, the same, the same way here, because even though there's a twist that you probably see coming, we saw it coming in the first film. But as you correctly pointed out, that really shouldn't matter. No, because in the original, this twist was more of a sleight of hand. Because you're waiting for that, and then all of a sudden, you're like, "What is happening right mm-hmm. now?" Mm-hmm. And that was the point. Whereas in this one. They trim up so many things that the focus is always obvious. That's what the movie is. The movie is obvious. Yeah, and it's just it's just not as creepy either. There was no, a, there's a, no atmosphere. Over, right. It's, there's an over the atmospheric sense of dread in the first one, mm-hmm. and certain scenes and certain props. Let's put it that way. That just add to the creepiness of it. Plus. I've said before, I'm really not a fan of the dream sequence. No. It can be a cheat. They yeah. use it a couple times here. Yeah. The other thing I think, you know, the original was not afraid to leave some questions unanswered. Mm-hmm. And I like that in a movie because, you know, honestly, not every not everything in real life makes perfect sense. As long as it's not a plot hole, yeah. I think that can add richness to a film. And this one does not leave anything unanswered. It answers everything. Yeah, so if you're going to see one, we would very much recommend the Austrian original. Um, on its own, this is not terrible. No. But... It's just about... It's pretty mediocre. Yeah, pretty mediocre. And that's the new Goodnight Mommy. It's on Prime Video now. And let's go to Shudder for one more horror to wrap it up. A Danish family visits a Dutch family they met on a holiday. What was supposed to be an idyllic weekend slowly starts unraveling as the Danes try to stay polite in the face of unpleasantness. Speak no evil. He's only a child for Christ's sake. You can't talk to him that way. What is wrong with you? We have a situation here. Someone left without saying goodbye. So many things have felt so wrong. Because we do things differently. Why are you doing this? No one's forcing you to stay, but I really hope you do because today is gonna be a great day. So speaking of a Naomi Watts remake of a foreign language film, she was in the uh, English language version of Funny Games. Mm-hmm. Um, and this movie, Speak No Evil, bears a lot of resemblance to Funny Games in that they are, instead of a comedy of manners, they are a horror of manners. Yeah. It is the... the Uncomfortable. Ang- yes, the anxiety of where just proper etiquette can take you when one team <laughs> knows how to veer away from... The expectations of etiquette, and the other team kind of doesn't. Like, just, you're so innate, certain people are so innately polite, and then there's a scene, and you're trying to avoid a scene, but if somebody is intentionally manipulating that, the anxiety, the tension that that creates, the dread that that can create, Mm -hmm. as Michael Haneke well knew uh, with his uh, uh, funny games, it's it's really um, tough to watch. Uh, There are films that do this that... It can take you places that you kind of, in the end, wish you didn't go. 
And that's what, like, this movie is relentless. It doesn't let up. It doesn't <laughs> yeah. give up. Yeah. And, you know, a, a good friend of ours, who is a massive horror movie fan, said she was going to need therapy after this one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it can really make it awkward because one group is preying on the other group's societal pressures, I guess, the 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 expectations of how to act. We've seen some other great filmmakers do that. Ruben Osland, who has a new one coming out very soon, The yep. Triangle of Sadness, does that very well as yep. well yep. in the original Force Majeure. And it can be very, very uncomfortable. Especially when people die. Yeah. Especially <laughs> yeah. when they die horribly. Yeah, which, which uh, happens here. So um, if you can get through that, this would be for you because it was a recommendation on Shudder, another winner from Shudder, and it is out now called Speak No Evil. So a good group this week. Yes. A good group. But let's take a break and head to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Checking back in the lobby, the schlocketeer hanging out to uh, get us schooled on the latest news, studio updates, and what have you. So what have you? Well, Disney has officially set an October 7th release for the streaming premiere of their Marvel Halloween special feature, Werewolf by Night. It's in black and white and will feature the horror-themed characters like Werewolf by Night, Man-Thing, Zombie, and Elsa Bloodstone. And another thing special about this, in addition to the fact that it's pretty much, I don't know if you've seen the trailer, but it's a send-up of old Universal monster movies. Yeah. But it, it is also the directorial debut of famous composer Michael Giacchino. So Interesting. Yeah. Okay, we'll check it out. <laughs> And then the next day on October 8th at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, Sci-Fi is premiering Bring It On, Cheer or Die, which is the seventh installment in the Bring It On franchise and also happens to be a slasher movie. I love it. <laughs> It'll be hitting VOD about a week later. So I mean, I haven't, I haven't seen all six, but I figured this is where it's been progressing to. Naturally. It's all <laughs> been building to this moment. Right. <laughs> Apple TV's Jennifer Lawrence-starring psychological drama Causeway will premiere on November 4th. And then Netflix has set a December 7th premiere date for The Wonder, which is a new psychological drama from Gloria and a fantastic woman director, Sebastian Leo. And that one stars Florence Pugh, Tom Burke, Toby Jones, and Karen Hines. I like him. I like his stuff. So this will be interesting. And then I only have one more for you. It's a light week this week. Okay. But Netflix has set a December 30th premiere date for their sci-fi comedy, They Cloned Tyrone, <laughs> uh, with, <laughs> which stars John Boyega, Jamie Foxx, and Teona Paris. That's it. Light week. All right. Well, we'll see what you dig up next week. Have a great weekend. Thank you. Hey, thank you. You too. All right, looking ahead to next week. Well, one that everybody's talking about. Was it a spit? Did he spit? What else is going on? Uh, Don't Worry Darling finally comes out next week. Also, Lou, which I'm very much looking forward to. Sydney. Justice of Bunny King, which is very good, by the way. Okay, To the Moon. Carmen. Blank. Bandit. Boy, a lot of one-word titles next week. A lot of them. But here's uh, not a one-word title. Simcas and Sorrow. No idea. That, no idea, but we'll find <laughs> out. That's next week, but boy, a lot to talk about this week and some really good stuff. The gamut this week runs from okay to great. Yeah. And there's nothing no wrong with dogs. that. No real dogs. Nothing wrong with that. So uh, let us know which ones you saw, which ones you want to see, you want to talk about. You can always find us on Twitter. That's easy, at Mad Wolf, M-A-D-D-W-O-L-F, also on Facebook and Instagram. It's Mad Wolf Columbus and the main website where you can find all of our written reviews and our other horror movie-only podcast called Fright Club. New episode out now about our favorite Satanists in horror. Yeah. So you know that's a laugh a minute. <laughs>
Come on and join us. You can find that all at madwolf.com. So keep in touch if you can. Have a great week. See some great movies. We'll talk again next week. She is Hope Mad. He's George Wolf. And this is the Screening Room Podcast. See ya. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. Bye. Okay, everybody, that's a wrap.